Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. I am so excited for you to listen to this podcast. Dr. Dawson Church is just incredible. You know me, anybody who's listened to anything I put out there, how powerful I believe we are. And now there's scientific proof. That's right, baby. Ugh, the power of the brain. Train your head, body will follow. I always knew that we were way more powerful than we could even imagine. And now, Dr. Dawson Church is here to say, Sandy Joy Weston, you're right on, baby. And not only that, but change can happen quicker than you ever imagined. As always, I really appreciate you sharing and liking and I love the fact that you support me throughout the years and I'm grateful for the clients that you are sending me individually and corporate. And I love the fact that it's inspiring people. So enjoy my friends, have fun. I'm excited for everything, everything that we're gonna do in the new year. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. All right, I know, I love all my guests, but I was so excited to bring Dr. Dawson on. Why? He asked me not, he makes me look not so crazy, right? The things I believe. <laughs> and there he is, <laughs> my whole life. And I kept saying, are you sure? There, there actually might be science to what I was doing. I didn't know it at the time. But before we get into that, I want to tell you a little bit about Dawson Church. He is an award-winning Woohoo! Science writer with three best-selling books to his credit. The Genie in Your Genes, love it, was the first book to demonstrate that emotions drive gene expression. Love these titles. Mind to Matter showed that the brain creates much of what we think as objective reality. True that. Bliss Brain, his most recent, demonstrates that peak mental states rapidly, rapidly, keep in mind, remodel the brain for happiness. Dawson has conducted dozens of clinical trials, I can't wait, and founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to promote groundbreaking new treatments. Its largest program, the Veterans Stress Project, has offered free treatment to over 20,000 veterans with PTSD over the past decade. Dawson shares how to apply these health and performance breakthroughs through EFT Universe, one of the largest alternative medicine sites on the web. I don't know what to call you. I'm so excited. Should I call you Dawson, Dr. Church, Dr. Dawson? What would you prefer? Dawson is fine, Sandy. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. What a joy. And I love just sharing all of the science behind this work. And I love picking up on your enthusiasm because that enthusiasm itself is infectious and really helps move us toward our goals. So it's a great combination. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I know I could spend a weekend asking you questions, but I've narrowed it down. My questions, the audience <laughs> questions. But before we do that, anyone that knows me knows I love words. And I always pick one word I'm going to focus on for the day. So before we start, Dawson, I would like to know what word in the past 30 days most resonates with you and why? Obsession. Obsession. Tell us more. Well, when I was writing my most recent book, This Brain, I, I found myself both in some pretty challenging circumstances and also blissfully happy. And I had just about the worst string of disasters that you can imagine. And yet, I, in the middle of it, as I would meditate, as I would tune into something greater than myself in meditation, I found myself hitting these blissful states. Mm. And after a while, you start to feel so good. And you don't want to go anywhere else. You just want to stay in that blissful state. And you can't do it all the time. But um, you can do it a lot of the time. And what I found just in the last few months is that you just get obsessed with being there. So I go there before I go to sleep every night. I When I wake up in the, in, in the middle of the night to go pee, I go there again. <laughs> I go there when I'm falling asleep again. I go there the first thing on waking. 
and you just get to the point where you're obsessed with this state of feeling amazing and you just don't want to go anywhere else. And so yeah. um, I've just been struck by how obsessive I am about that wonderful state we can be in of feeling that sense of connection with something larger than ourselves. You know, I love that. And I know a little bit about your story, but I want you definitely to tell them about the fire because in the last few years, I've been just calling it in the gap. I've been talking about, you know, you showing up in a certain way, like how you choose to show up in the world, no matter what's going on. And not that some days aren't more difficult than others, but I feel as if all the practice I did every single day, when it hits the fan, you can come to that pure joy, that love space, that peace space, even though everything is going crazy around you, maybe not the whole time, but I found that I was in a similar, different type of situation. And my coach said to me, ah, oh, Sandy, you asked for this. You wanted to experience pure joy and freedom, no matter what, if you weren't helping people, didn't have a bestseller and on and on. And that was a difficult year. But when I came out the other end, ah, oh, Dawson, it was incredible. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting when we are able to create those states in our ourselves independent of circumstances. So initially, everyone has these elevated states triggered in them dependent on circumstances. And you go to see the Grand Canyon and you have this feeling of awe. Maybe you just walk out to the local park two blocks away from you and stand under a, a maple tree and watch the full colors and you have that same sense of awe. Or you look into the eyes of a baby, you you hug a friend, um, you go to a, an inspiring lecture or concert and you feel that sense of, of just uh, and it, it, when we do EEG studies on people like like this having these experiences, we can yeah. see they're in flow. These people are in, are in flow. But that's all triggered from outside of yourself. And everyone has those experiences. We have a collection of them. We think of those often as the most meaningful and significant times of our lives. But the the trick is to learn to generate those states internally independent of circumstances, so that when things are rough on the outside, you still have that resource and that ability to maintain that internal equilibrium and that internal joy. And that, that that's what I call in Bliss Brain resilience. If you can do yeah. it in the face yeah. of adverse circumstances, then you are a resilient person. Okay. So tell them a little bit of what happened to you and your wife recently. It was one of the most shattering experiences of my life. And I didn't see it coming even a tiny bit. My wife woke me up one night and she was shaking my shoulder and saying, Dawson, something's really wrong. I looked at the alarm clock next to my bed and it said 12.45 a.m. I glanced out the window. I saw a glow on the horizon and I knew that something was wrong. I sprinted outside onto our deck and there was a wildfire just racing mm. down the opposite hillside toward our, our property. And I just yelled, we're getting out of here right now. And we literally sprinted through the house. We threw on some clothes, grabbed our phones, ran to our car, and drove out through the flames. And we just barely survived mm. uh, a fire that, that killed dozens of people and left 5,400 homes destroyed. And so for, for more than a year, our whole area was just reeling from this massive loss of both, both lives and also over 5,000 people lost their homes, and so there was no place to live. There, were, there was just physically, the, the, the property market here in California was already tight. Yeah. That shattering experience of losing losing our home, seeing the texts we got a couple of days later from, from a friend who snuck in to look at the property and seeing just this concrete slab with some ash on top of it and a chimney sticking up, and mm. knowing that everything we we had, I mean, it was the fire was so hot, it literally melted our, our cars, oh. melted everything in our office, oh, uh, melted... Oh. It was just, just like there was, it looked like like a, a war had been fought fought there, yeah. and so for the next year we were just coping with where do we live, where do we go, what do we do, uh, try to put put things back together again. It was also financially it was devastating for us us as well. So in 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 that next year we had to deal with we actually lost all of our our, our savings, all of our retirement funds. We lost absolutely everything, both physical and, and, and financial that we had. Yet I would meditate every morning, Sandy. I'd sit there in meditation. Like I remember one, one morning, oh, I was so funny. I was sitting there journaling off, I was writing my journal after meditation. And I wrote about how prosperous I felt. And 
It was like, I just believed I felt prosperous because I basically am a prosperous human being. I, I create enormous amounts of money and I do that every year. And I just knew that was the reality of the situation, even though I couldn't meet payroll that week. So you just mm. have that reality and then you are able to move into those states. And I felt prosperous. I felt joyful, despite the fact that everything was pretty much a wreck around me. So I love the, I, I wrote Bliss Brain to share with people that again, that whole idea that it's not dependent upon things going well in the outside mm -hmm. world for you to feel good inside. You can reach these states. I mean, these Tibetan monks and Franciscan nuns, I write about the MRI and EEG studies with them, and they have nothing. They have they they don't even own the saffron robes on their back or the, the crucifixes around their necks. They have nothing. And yet mm. when we look at their profiles in MRI studies, we see them at the at such high levels of happiness, the average person, Sandy, doesn't even know there is a there there and they are there and they have nothing. So I, I, I just become intrigued by the ability of human beings to create this brain, yeah. even in the face of having nothing. Okay. So we, your wife's name is, it's Christine, right? Christine. Yes. Yeah. Does she, did she have the same attitude as you? I need more details on this because this is like, oh my God, like it's not just money, it's memories, it's everything. Boom. Yeah, it's uh, you know, all your photographs from your childhood, uh, yeah, all your yeah. wedding gifts. Yeah, there's a lot all... more than money there. Yeah. Yeah, it's all this all the sentimental stuff. And we you know, we did actually never never miss that much. Uh, and I did some some funny tricks. Like I had a, a collection of nineteenth um, century books from my father and grandfather and great grandfather. Mm -hmm. Uh and um, I just went out and bought some similar books at an antique store and pretended they were the same books. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the best. No, that, so, that yeah, means a right lot. Now, and I'm just pretending. I just pretended. So, uh, you know, I just, it, it's just stuff. But and you realize that that's not what's, what's important. What's important is love and compassion and kindness. And people were so good to us after the fire. Like mm. our, our our kids are, are all grown and they they were staying with uh, with one of our sets of, of, of kids, adult kids, and we're staying in their in their house. And they were, we were so bewildered. Both, both Christine and I were so bewildered. We, they literally would take us by the, the hand like the day after the fire and they would they would walk us to the the shelter to go look for some clothes because we we couldn't we couldn't even feed ourselves we were so immobilized by this and it did take Christine yeah. longer than it took me we needed therapy we needed energy work it took us about a year to really regain our sense of equilibrium but um and, and it did take her longer than it, than it took me but we we got there after a few weeks months and certainly a year was enough to 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 recover and then she she still would have like like we lost our animals. We had huge beautiful koi. We had a couple of Siamese cats. Um, we she really mourned the animals more than anything else. Yeah. We, we had neighbors that died. We had eight people who died within a oh. thousand yards of us because you know people our neighbors some of them were get, get in their cars and then the power went out and they couldn't get out of their their garages and they were trapped or they they just couldn't the fire was moving at the, the football field's length every three seconds and so some people were just oh, they just didn't have time to get out we were one of the, the fortunate people in this rural area of california who did get out so yeah. there was a, a lot a lot of mourning and letting go that went on as well so and i know the answer to this but i have to ask what do you say to people because i hear this all the time well dawson maybe you were born that way you know, you just came into the world, hippy skippy. Where other people, you know, what I mean? you know some people are pessimists. You know, reality. You know, what do they say? Realist. You know, glass half full, and it makes the world go round. You know, and that's just you. What do you say to that? Well, in later chapters of the book, I actually most of my books are science books, popular science books. They're not autobiographical. But in this book, I did tell a little bit of my story and about how I began life. It Certainly by, by the time I was 10, 11, 12, I was severely depressed. I was just incredibly stressed and um, I was suicidal. I, there was hardly a week that went by. I didn't think about killing myself. Mm. And I was just one of those teenagers who was just wrecked uh, yeah. psychologically. Yeah. And I went to go live on an ashram. I studied with spiritual teachers. I In my teens, I was really looking for the answers. I was reading Paul Brunton and Krishnamurti and, and all of these great teachers trying to find a way out of my abject misery. So I, I didn't begin life as a happy person. And spirituality helped me a bit. Later on, I studied psychology. That helped a bit more. 
But um, it took me a long time. And really the turning point was when I turned 45 and I made the commitment to meditate every single day without fail. And that really was the turning point. Everything started to change. And, and the next 20 years was was powerful in seeing things mm. shift. But I did not begin as an optimist. I began wretchedly depressed. And then I, my part of my quest is that, you know, Sandy, it took me 50 years to figure all this stuff out psychologically and neurologically. And in my books, I, I'm just... Like there's a, a section in the first chapter of Bliss Brain that's called from from 50 years to 50 seconds, and the 50 seconds is we had we had a woman in a, our our retreat, a seven day retreat, hooking her up to an EEG, measuring her brain waves, training her to acquire these blissful states, and then measuring her again in seven days. And after seven days of practice, we hooked her up to the EEG. She closed her eyes, and in 47 seconds, she was having a full-blown ecstatic mystical experience. Mm. And so we now know we can train people to get there in 50 seconds. It, but it took me 50 years to figure it out. And I, my, my passion is to give people these, these shortcuts where it doesn't have to take 10,000 hours, 10 years in the monastery, <laughs> things you can yeah. just do that'll help you get there quick. Well, you know, that was your path and it was needed for what you need to share with the world because... I am so grateful for people like you who can put the science behind what other people like me just know innately from their life, you know, <laughs> because a lot yes. of people don't go, well, you know, just trust me. <laughs> this is what happened. So the fact that, you know, you have all this research and that you didn't start out that way is way more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. The research is, is really valuable because it then tells us what's going on in our brains and bodies we then can can for example hook people up show them how to get there and then yeah. we know they're getting there they don't have to tell us I, mean, I, I can look at an eeg scan of somebody's brain waves and i don't need to know a darn thing about that i don't know don't need to know what what gender they are how old they are anything about their spiritual path i can tell if you're trained you can tell it at a glance exactly where they are psychologically you show me at one scan i'll say that person's anxious. Show me another scan, I'll say, that person's depressed. Third scan, that person's in pain. I can tell just from their brain waves. And so we can now train people to acquire the brain waves of ecstasy. And that's what all this work's about. Mm, I love that. So you, let me just back up a second, because I really want to home in on this. You could see sitting there, if somebody is having negative thoughts, and you can watch as they shift, and you can see the brain waves change when they become more positive. In a, in a nanosecond, in a fraction of a second. It does not take long. If you, what, what, what I'll do sometimes, Ooh. I teach a lot of live classes, like in-person classes. And at some of those, we have EEGs and we have people hooked up. And I'll get people nice and relaxed. They'll be at heart coherence. They'll be, and they'll be breathing in a nice rhythmic pattern and their shoulders are relaxed and their breathing's deep and their heart rate's low. And then I'll say, think about a negative thought. Think about something that really stresses you out. And boom, in a fraction of a second, all the indicator lights on my console go from green to red and their physiology's changed, their cortisol is spiked, their beta anxiety brainwaves have gone way out there. Instantly, you think a negative thought, it's affecting your body. I would love to see that. I would love to. That, <laughs> that would be so freaking exciting. All right, so when before you came on, one of the biggest things, I'm sure you hear this all the time, Dawson, I don't have time to meditate. If you knew my life, if you knew my schedule, I can't spend 45 minutes meditating. And so a lot of questions I had come in going, yeah, I can do a lot of things, but I'm not sure I'm the person that was built to meditate. Well, a few things that go along with that. One is that if you try and meditate without science, it's hard because you close your eyes, you try and still your mind, and you fail. I mean, the mind fundamentally was not meant to be still. The brain was not meant to be at rest. Our brains are constantly busy. So the traditional attempts to meditate that were taught just don't work. I mean, I, I tried as a teenager to, to do that. The meditation teacher said, close your eyes and still your mind. You just cannot still your mind. So that, that, that doesn't work. You yeah. need a science-based meditation. And so in Bliss Brain, I look at what the science shows us will get you there without needing to steal your mind. So that, that's one thing. You need effective instructions. But here is the difference between you and me today, Sandy, and, and all of us listening now. Um, we're busy people. We have families. We have jobs. We have money to earn. We have 
we have careers to nurture, we have a lot going on in our lives. And back then, a thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago, sure, you went to the monastery, you took vows, you gave up all your worldly possessions and interests, and you sat there at the feet of the master for many hours a day, to 10,000 hours. After 10 years, maybe you felt something and got somewhere. Another 20 years, and you were an apprentice, and you were, you were, you were, you were really experiencing those states. And that's just not what is realistic for us right now. So we need meditation tools that get us there really quickly. And that's where science comes in, because science has now been identifying what works and what doesn't. But the corollary is, uh, well, I, I, I'm going to say, Sandy, I, I talk way too fast. <laughs> I'm going to say this slowly because it's so important. Okay, so when you meditate for that 45 minutes, your brain function changes. So now you're doing an effective science-based meditation for 45 minutes in the morning, preferably. It changes your brain function. Your brain function changes mm. completely and it becomes far more efficient. It's like tuning up a car engine. If you had an old car and it was out of tune, the plugs were fouled, the wires weren't good, it's, it's putting a lot of energy out there. It's just running hard and it is moving very fast. After meditating, you've tuned your brain. Your brain is now functioning much more efficiently. That brain function, that enhanced brain function. There's a researcher called Teresa Amabile at Harvard University, and Dr. Amabile's work showed that you enter that state and your brain keeps on functioning more efficiently for 48 hours after that. Another study by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, showed that you do that for that 45 minutes, that hour, Mm -hmm. and your ability to solve complicated problems yeah. in your your world goes up by 490%. You are now five times as good at solving your financial problems, your marriage problems, your problems with your kids and your career. You now are a problem-solving genius. And another thing that goes up, according to another study by McKinsey Corp Corporation Consulting Agency, is that your productivity the amount of work you get out of, at work goes up by yeah. 500%. So here you are dramatically more creative and the effect lasts for 48 hours. So you're dramatically more efficient as a human being and more effective and it all comes to that meditation. So really, you cannot afford, you cannot afford not to spend that 45 minutes at the beginning of every day to gain that two days worth of enhanced creativity, productivity, and problem-solving ability. All right. So Dawson, this spins off a lot of questions for me because I know a lot of people that listen to the show, they meditate in different ways. I mean, the ones that do meditate. I have a lot of people that say, Sandy, just forget it. You know, I'm good. But the ones that do, and many of them are people that do it in, in ways while they're working out. So for example, they take hikes, they mountain bike. Is it possible to get the same benefits while moving? There are styles of meditation that recruit movement, like yoga, qigong, tai chi. So these styles of meditation are good. And time in nature, for sure, if you're mountain biking or if you're hiking and you're doing it in nature, that's, that's going to have an effect. If you can practice really focusing your attention, that's going to enhance the effect. So how good are you at really putting your attention on one thing and leaving it there, like your breath, for example, yeah, or yeah. part of your body, or centering yourself in your heart. If you can do that, then yeah, you can meditate. And as but, but you know, if you're if you're hiking or mountain biking and your mind is all over the place, then no, it's not really a meditation. Okay, so what I'm hearing, I just want to make sure I got this right. If you were out walking and you weren't like looking at the dog and the birds, and you were able to really focus while you were walking, then that you would consider highly effective. Yeah, there's a Buddhist walking meditation where you're simply mindful of every step, and yeah. that is uh, an effective form of meditation. The reason I'm asking is because I do several different types of meditation, but, and I, and I know there's not as many studies on this, whenever I work out, move, and I am a hiker, I'm a mountain biker, I dance, I mean, it's my life. I've owned health clubs my whole life. I'm always, always come into that heightened state. And when I'm done, 
I have such clarity. I know what I want to do. I know what I want to say. And I'm raring to go. Now, I also do meditate on the side, but I don't know if there's any scientific studies of what's happening for me. But all of a sudden, whoo, it's like the sky opens up. Mm. Yeah, so you might be a person who really benefits from a moving meditation. And uh, in this brain, I cover seven styles of meditation. So there are moving meditations. There are meditations where you you follow your breath, where you where you where you release your thoughts. There are meditations, especially used in Catholicism, where you read the work of inspired people. You read Rumi. You read Saint Catherine or Saint Francis, and then you inhabit the mental and emotional space of those great saints. Yeah, so, yeah, but, I yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah. It's all styles of meditation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I got to get this question in. I'm going to have a fake name for some of these people because they said, please ask <laughs> this. Uh, this is going to be uh, Billy Bob. Billy Bob wants to know, okay, I know I'm supposed to meditate 45 minutes a day, but please ask Dawson, will seven minutes make a difference? I don't know how he came up with seven minutes, but he came up with seven minutes. It will make a difference and it'll make... S- some, you'll make some progress doing that. Uh, there's one study showing that eight minutes a day for 12 weeks began to change brain function. And that's the minimum, minimum dose is eight, eight minutes. Uh, if you can do 20 minutes, much more effective. If you can do 30 minutes, more effective still. Beyond 45 minutes, your effectiveness might well drop off. But also oh. the, the crucial thing is, is to... If you are in that meditative state, so in the book, I, I, I show you the brainwave pattern. So that brainwave pattern is called the awakened mind. If you're in the awakened mind pattern, then you're in real meditation. But we'll watch two people. One person is sitting for 30 minutes and we'll have them hooked up. And it'll take them 20 minutes to get to the awakened mind. So it took them 20 minutes to get there. Now they have 10 minutes left in that meditative state. They've really done a 10-minute meditation, even though they've been sitting for 30 minutes. Another person sits down, like this lady I mentioned at our retreat, in Mm -hmm. less than one minute, she is in full-blown awakened mind. So she has 29 minutes then in her 30 minutes of deep meditation. So yeah, it's not how long you sit, it's how much of that time you're in deep meditation. And I have to confess, Sandy, even after 20 years more, 20 years of daily meditation, it still takes me a few minutes to get there. I don't get there in a minute like this lady did. If yeah. I'm there in five <laughs> minutes, I think I'm doing well. And maybe yeah. seven or eight minutes on average. I, I find that fascinating too. And I do believe that, right? Because some people, I, I, I've been at different workshops. They weren't hooked up, but you could see, whoa. And then others takes longer, but there's no right or wrong, which leads me to my next question, which I must have gotten <laughs> over and over. Can any, this is, can anybody meditate, even if you have attention deficit? I thought that was pretty funny. Like, I have ADD, I can't meditate. Yeah, ADD, I do too. I have uh, had ADD my whole life and I, I just can't keep my attention on any one thing very, very quickly for, for very long. And that's just the way, again, our brains evolve to pay attention to any potential problem or threat around us in our environment. And usually what you want to do is, the meditation I teach you in this brain is physiologically based, not mentally based. It's a certain oh. breathing rhythm. It's relaxing certain muscles. Nothing about it requires you to still your mind. You can have the most active mind jumping all over the place. And if you just do these physiological things, you'll reach that deep state anyway. So you kind of just abandon the mind to its own thing and let it jump around, do its ADHD flittering of attention to different objects of attention while you're in this deep state and using using physiological cues to bring you to that deep state. That's awesome. I love that you said that because it takes pressure off people because I hear so many times, no, I can't, I can't, I just can't clear my mind. And you're saying, don't worry about it. No, don't. Uh, I... Like, I, I love eating mindfully. I sit down to eat, especially at dinner time. I really savor every bite, and I really am there with the food. I'm there with whoever I'm eating dinner with. I, I have this mindful eating experience. And then I look out the, at the birds outside my window, at the bird feeder. There's nothing mindful about the way the birds eat. They're pecking away at their, their sunflower seeds. They're looking up, they're looking down, they're looking around, they're looking to the side. They're taking a quick peck, and they're looking up around again. And that's because... That that's the way we survived, uh, and yeah. that's the way our brains evolved was to be attentive to the environment, looking for threats. 
And it just so happens there's a, a cat that hangs out in our yard. And every once in a while, that cat just leaps up and attacks the birds in the bird feeder. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. there's a cat down below. There's a hawk that circles up above. Every once in a while, the hawk catches a bird. So for those birds, it would be fatal to eat mindfully. The brain is meant to be paying attention to all the threats of the environment. So our brains not evolved to be mindful mindful. There's no problem with not being mindful. That's just the way the hardware of our brain works. Accept it, live with it. Don't set yourself some goal of perfection of having having a still mind. You just don't have a still brain. And so accept that fact and then work with it. And no, that's just part of being human. Well, that takes a lot of pressure off people, Dawson. It does. (laughs) (laughs) It does. It's it's more relaxing. Okay. So you mentioned how it took maybe a year of working with different therapists and counselors and people to really feel like you were back on your feet. Is that correct after the fire? It did take a year. And in fact, on the one year anniversary, my wife and I did a session with clinical psychologist David Feinstein. And he's a close friend of ours. David and his wife, Donna Eden, wrote the book Energy Medicine. And we just had a lot of interaction with them over the last 20 years. And Love that book. Yeah, awesome. And they're, they're just deep soul friends of ours. And so on the one-year anniversary, we had a session and we really worked through a lot of leftover stuff. And I just want to say to people who are going through, a, you know, if you're going through a divorce or a job loss or a housing issue or problems with your kids or parents or other strains in your life, give yourself time. Don't demand that you be back to full functioning in, in a month or, or or two months because our, our bodies need time to heal, our psyches need time to integrate new experiences. And so it did take us all that time. And um, I don't, don't want to pretend that you have an experience like losing everything and you just snap back in 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not that way. <laughs> Go meditate. You'll be good. Yeah, right. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. What about those people who say, I hear all the time, you know, the positive psychology, you know, your the law of attraction, you, you expect us to be happy all the time. And I know that's not what it's about. It's just getting there quicker. Is there a amount of time, like I keep getting these questions, like how long, and I don't know how you're going to answer this, how long should I be angry? Is it okay to be angry and frustrated and feel jealous and guilt? So when we're kids, we get wounded. It's just inevitable. You could have had a perfect childhood and some things will have happened that will have made you upset or frustrated or um, times you didn't have enough attention, didn't get what you wanted. And so there's no such thing as a perfect childhood. And for many people, like half of all teenagers, according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, half of all teenagers experience or witness physical violence in the course of any given calendar year. So, um, yeah, I mean, one in three girls is molested. One in five boys is molested. There's a lot of trauma out there, Sandy. And so um, if you're in a group of, if you're working in a team of 10 people, the chances are that two or three of them were molested as children. So there's a lot of PTSD, there's a lot of psychological trauma that is just present in our society. And even if you had a perfect childhood, there's still stuff. And so yeah. as an adult, you have your your job as an adult, if you're gonna be a happy adult, is to work through that stuff. And so you need to take a, a proactive approach and really work with your trauma. And to do that, I use EFT tapping, acupressure tapping, which is superb at healing that. We've now tapped at in our private nonprofit with over 20,000 veterans with flashbacks and nightmares and intrusive thoughts and PTSD mm. just goes away if you do that. So that's the one thing you have Whoa. to do. And that is that is releasing the emotional charge locked up in negative childhood events. So that's the one piece of adult work you have to do. And then when you've done that, you then need to do the second piece of work which is cultivating elevated states. So it's not an either or. It's not either you go and work on trauma or you go and seek these elevated states in meditation. You know, you go to bliss brain. You do both. And we recommend ah. you do trauma work first. You go and delve deep into trauma, use an EFT therapist or coach or practitioner, and really let go of all of that buried stuff. I mean, the the adverse childhood experiences study shows that people who don't release childhood trauma 
when they hit their 50s, they have much higher levels of cancer, heart disease, obesity, diabetes, hepatitis, high blood pressure, all kinds of physical ailments if you don't release childhood trauma. So that's number one. Number two is you go and seek these elevated states. You go meditate, you spend time in nature, you cultivate well-being, you cultivate positivity. Mm -hmm. But if you're cultivating, there's a wonderful phrase from Shakespeare about trying to be positive when things are festering down below. He says, this is from, from, from Hamlet, it doth but skin and film the ulcerous place, whilst rank corruption, mining all within, infects unseen. And that's just about the most colorful description of buried trauma I've ever come across. So uh, you want to go ahead and deal with that unseen infection as first. And then you, you, you seek positive states. Then you are just trying to, uh, a much less elegant uh, way comes from where I learned I was in school at Baylor University in Texas. They, the Texans say, don't put lipstick on a pig. So, I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know, so uh, don't just try to paint over with positive psychology all the inner, inner wounds you've got. Feel them and heal them and then aspire to those high states. I think that's so important. And I, I can't even remember. I must have been, it wasn't even till my 30s or 40s that I realized that was true. Uh, everyone, and maybe I did, expected right, Sandy's the joy person, right? She has to be joyful, happy all the time. <laughs> and even if I was a little sad or angry, they would be like, no, 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 no. You can't be that. You're not that, you know, in our world. And right. that that was a lot of pressure, you know? And what I realized is the importance of, like you said, it doesn't have to be and or. You can do both at the same time. Absolutely. I could go back and deal with the childhood stuff, which I did. And it was tough to get through, but at the same time, get to my elevated state, which I think made the other part a lot easier. Yes, it's both and. If you try and go to the elevated states and not deal with trauma, then that becomes the dark side, the shadow, and that then will rise up and bite you. Yeah. So on, on a daily basis, let's just not even talk about trauma. What about just dealing with everyday frustrations, skill. A lot of my friends said to ask you, you know, you could get in a bad, ha well, I don't want to say habit, but you can get in a habit that doesn't serve you well, that you start nitpicking on people or feeling guilty for things or jealous about things, just everyday things, not the major traumas. And how would you address that end? Because I know it's a, it's a slippery slope, Dawson, when you, when you start going and then and nitpicking and nagging, not that you want to live, you know, thinking everyone's perfect. If you are doing meditation in the way I recommend in Bliss Brain, then a central feature of it is compassion. And so people are imperfect. And then you start to love them and forgive them and let them be just the way they are. And so you develop compassion. And compassion, MRI research shows, Sandy, compassion is the single quickest way of sparking the development of neural pathways in your brain to do with happiness. Mm -hmm. Compassion equals happiness, not in terms of mood, not in terms of temporary state, but in long-term personality trait. If you become a compassionate person, then you are able to see all the failings and shortcomings of other people with, with that state of compassion. Does that mean you become a doormat and accept unacceptable behavior? Not at all. You stand up for yourself. You still have mm. personal boundaries, but you see people with compassion. And yeah. then the miracle that happens after that is you practice compassion for others and you practice it over and over and over again. And when people offend you, do things, you know, I'll, tell, I'll give you an example from my own, own life. I, I, I moved from a, a, a small country town to a big city and the, there are a lot of drivers on the freeways in, in this particular part of California. And a lot of them, a lot of them are very nice, but a few of them, they, they like tailgate and they honk and yeah. they, oh, they yeah, weave in and out of traffic and stuff like that. And so every once in a while, I would have somebody who would be acting that way when I was in traffic. And my old tendency was to, before I was practicing compassion, was to think, what a jerk. You know, this, this person is disrupting the lives of everyone around him. It's usually a him. It's rarely yeah. a her. It's almost always a, you know, <laughs> some testosterone-laden guy. And so I was, you know, I was pretty, uh, I mean, they could cause an accident, blah, blah, blah. Now, when I see that person 
cutting me off, giving me the finger, getting so angry, I think, that guy is probably having a really miserable day. Does he have the peace of mind I have? Almost yeah. certainly not. Does he have yeah. the wonderful relationships with his parents and and kids and friends and family that I have? You know, probably he doesn't. Uh, so you just felt feel yourself flooded by compassion. So I'll literally, I'll, I'll tailgate him and flood him with <laughs> compassion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you me up. But then the the beautiful thing, too, is when you do this over and over (laughs) and over again, you start to have compassion for yourself. And so all that self-critical judgment, blame in your head, you're you're not working out enough. You're not you you, you have five pounds too much weight on you. You aren't meeting your goals. You are. What about your financial goals? Look where you were last year. Look where you are this year and your New Year's resolutions, the ones you haven't finished. All that self-critical chatter, it just goes away. It's amazing because now your compassion is spreading and it's compassion for yourself. And it's not just mood. It's organic. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a lobe of your brain, this huge big lobe of your brain called the insula. When we put people in, in MRIs, we see that part of the brain brightly lit up. And so we see the self centered parts of the brain getting quiet. We see the suffering parts of the brain going offline we see the compassionate part of the brain lit up like a christmas tree it's just a beautiful thing and we're seeing this in people in under 30 days they they start the meditations in bliss brain they start practicing them every day for 20 minutes and after just a month we're seeing the suffering parts of the brain shut down and the compassionate parts of the brain light up it happens that fast (gasps) ah dawson I love that you're making this not so airy fairy. Do you know what I mean? I love that there's like, no, this is science. This is the brain. You know, <laughs> like as people would say, oh, um, what do they always say to me? Oh my God, she's going to Sandy's world. They call it Sandy's world with the woo-woo stuff. Not so woo-woo, is it? Not so woo-woo. All that stuff you think was woo-woo now is showing it affects gene expression, it affects hormones, it affects neurotransmitters and brainwaves. In one study of EFT, a colleague of mine did the study. So changing your energy through acupressure tapping, changing energy, the researchers found that it altered the expression of 72 genes. It dialed up cancer suppression genes. It dialed up genes that suppress breast cancer, prostate cancer, throat cancer, uh, bowel cancer. It dialed up genes that that protect your skin from the sun's ultraviolet radiation. It dialed Woo-hoo. up the activity of genes that improve memory and learning circuits in the brain. It improved fertility genes. It did all of these things. And again, it's energy work. So it's the opposite of woo-woo. It's hard science. And all of these seemingly intangible things we're doing with our attitude and our mind and our, our, our doing energy work and changing our consciousness, it's having a direct and measurable effect on our genome. Dawson, can you come to dinner with me for Christmas and tell my family all this? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have a much bigger impact instead of Sandy's world. Oh my goodness, so funny. We have to go to rapid fire. Are you ready for rapid fire? Some fun questions? Totally. Lay them on me. By the way, this has been great and we'll get all your info and I'm going to get the studies because people are going to want to spread this baby around. All right. I think I know some of these and I can relate to them, but what is one of your favorite hobbies? I, for a long time, collected classic British sports cars and repaired them. I can change a cylinder head. I can do a tune-up. Yep. So that was one obscure hobby that I... I did not know that. I thought you were going to say kayaking. (laughs) (laughs) I try to pick an obscure one. So mountain biking and kayaking right now. But back along the way, I had... I used to have a collection of Rolls Royces and Jensen Heelys and all kinds of fancy cars. So uh, not anymore, but yeah. That's really cool. Okay, what is your favorite color? Red. Favorite food? Wow, I love just flavorful natural foods like um, like balsamic vinegar and olive oil as a salad dressing. It's just like I've been having it for you know my whole life, and it's still like this sensuous experience to have that. Uh, now I gotta say too that some of the the new meatless burgers like Impossible Burger and Beyond Burger. I'm blown away. They taste so good. So, yeah, they do. Yeah, some of those are, I still love a good steak, but um, I'm, I'm amazed at, at the way food is changing. So um, just high quality food eaten mindfully is wonderful. 
And by the way, I should have noted it before, but I eat so slow that people start eating my food because I really get into the moment, experience it. I want to enjoy every single bite. I don't know how people enjoy it. I look up and they're done. I was like, hey, that one in your body, those are extra calories. I want to just sit here and then I chat. It's like a whole thing to me. And I, I, I could see it getting a little aggravating because people are like, okay, we're ready to leave now. Sandy's sitting there, still eating. <laughs> But so, I have so much fun with it. I really do. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So practicing mindful eating is really powerful. And you'll find you just extract enjoyment from everything you do, everything to do with food when you eat mindfully. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What would one of your favorite days look like from morning to night if you could do anything, Dawson? Well, Sandy, I actually pretty much can do it anything I want. And most men my age are retired and puttering around the golf course. And I just don't do that at all. I just... I, I wake up in the morning, I'm just full of bliss. I just enter the state of just oneness with the all it is, and I just drift up into that space. I go make coffee, I sit in front of the fire, I meditate with a cup of coffee for about an hour. I then mm. will do some kind of creative writing usually. If I'm working on a book, I'll be writing for a couple of hours. Then I'll go and meet with, often I'll have meetings with members of my team or people who, who, who work with me or people in the nonprofit. I'll then put in it usually about a 10-hour day. It just feels very natural to have a 10-hour rhythm for me. Yeah. And then I'll have a glass of wine with my wife. And uh, if we have friends, we'll, um, we'll hang out with them and just have an evening of deep philosophical conversation. It's just a wonderful thing. Yeah. And, and I do that almost every day. So. <laughs> Sounds good to me, dude. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay. That, that sounds perfect. All right. If you could be an animal, what would you be and why? It's rare I'm at loss for words, Sandy, but... <laughs> <laughs> I like stumping you now and then. <laughs> Can I be an extinct animal? Does it have to be one that's, that's, that's living right now? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that... <laughs> Triceratops. <laughs> oh, my God. That's perfect. That's per I, I never had anybody say that at all. And by you... the way... Yeah. Well, if you're sticking with animals, I just have to say this because right before you came on, I was putting my dog upstairs uh, with my husband, you know, so you didn't hear the barking. And guess what my dog's name is? Ready? It can't be Triceratops. Oh, oh, okay, Dawson. <laughs> and so I thought, oh my God, I wonder if you can hear me say, come on, Dawson. Hurry up, Dawson. <laughs> and by the way, we, uh, we rescued him and he came with the name. So there okay. you go. And he's very loving and warm and friendly. All right. Next question. Besides your books, is there any book in the last year you would like to recommend? Oh, absolutely. There are fabulous books out there. Um, I'm working with Andrew Newberg right now on a new scale of enlightenment. We're, we're, we're actually measuring enlightenment and grading it scientifically. And so his, his book, How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain, is brilliant. Such a good book. Ooh. Um, and it just a lot of the, the, the information in, in, in Bliss Brain comes from Andrew Newberg and his studies. The other really big contribution to Bliss Brain was from a book by Daniel Goleman, who wrote Emotional Intelligence, and yeah. uh, Richard Davidson. And that book is called Altered Traits. Not about altering states, how you feel, altering traits, the way your brain's wired. Again, full of hard science and really, really powerful, uh, valuable Ooh. information. So those those two have stood out for me. Uh, Steve Taylor is a non-dualist teacher. And um, non-dualism means the whole idea of living as though all consciousness is one and your consciousness is one with all consciousness. And, and the great Indian masters used to teach this. And so there are ways we can bring people to that state. And so Steve Taylor has several books that talk about this, but his latest one is all about what he calls uh, transformation through turmoil, TTT, transformation oh. through turmoil, the bad stuff, the worst stuff of your life, and how often it actually sparks transformation. So Steve Taylor is this non-dualist teacher, and I rap with him pretty pretty, pretty often. And then if you want another book on uh, the experience of, again, non-neuroscientists is studying ordinary people who reach enlightenment. And a good one is by my friend Jeffrey Martin. It's called The Finders. 
And the finders mm. are people who find enlightenment, not not the seekers who are searching for yeah. enlightenment. What happens yeah. when you find it? And what how, you know? What, what does your sex life look like? What does your money life look like? Where do you go live? How do you adjust your schedule? What do you what are your political beliefs? We're studying all of this, uh, this 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 fine level of detail in the finders, and so that's another fascinating look at this whole world of of entering these elevated emotional and mental states. Well. This is bad news, Dawson, because I have a million books around me, but I don't have any of these. So now I have to go get them. I love all this. Interview Perfect. those people, Sandy. They they are all great interviewees and their information is, is fabulous. And they will have action plans for implementing what they recommend. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm writing all the... I'm like, okay, I have to get this down. I have to get this down. Okay. Well... This has been incredible. Really, I appreciate you taking the time to be on Let's Keep It Real. But before we go, tell everybody how we can reach you and find your books. So Bliss Brain is available free at blissbrain.com. And what? And shipping and handling. But yeah, the publisher, Hay House, my wonderful publisher, just gave us a whole huge printing of the book. And so we just make it available free at blissbrain.com along with all the meditations are there as well. So these meditation tracks are all there. And so you pay shipping and handling, but the book itself is free. And it comes with these meditations that help train your brain. So mm. that's a good way to, to, to find me. And then also we did two clinical trials of immunity. And we found that doing the meditation actually boosts your immune markers, these molecules called, I'll speak slowly again, immunoglobulins <laughs> immunoglobulins it, it, yeah. it increases your immunoglobulins up to 30 percent in a weekend up to 100 percent in a week we, we have a couple of clinical trials showing this immunoglobulins are the molecules that your body produces in your mucous membranes especially your nose and mouth that bind to the spike protein on coronaviruses and neutralize them and these are raised dramatically according to these clinical trials by the techniques in Bisprain. So we did a special immunity meditation, and that immunity meditation is available at tappinggift.com. And so tappinggift.com has the immunity meditation as well as the instructions for tapping. And so those are the two places to go. Blissbrain for the book, tappinggift.com for the immunity meditation. Woohoo. All right. We gotta go. Let's keep it real, people. We appreciate you listening and sharing. I know you're going to want to definitely rate this high. It really makes a difference. And even if you can send it to one person that you know will be inspired, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Dr. Dawson Church. And until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.